0: Well, how quickly a week disappears, and so it's good to be back together, isn't it, again? Uh, Welcome here this morning, if you're joining us online or in the overflow in the Sunday school, it's good to meet together again. I've been asked to apologise for um, the heating not working, um, but I guess having gone through winter with doors and windows open, and we've tried to keep it as warm as we can, we're all kitted out for trying to keep warm, so good. Just to remind you, there's still an opportunity to um, support uh, Christians in India through the Stanley Dales Trust Fund um, up until next Sunday. The details, uh, bank details, if you want to transfer some money to that are on the bulletin still. <clears throat> it's been great this morning to have uh, Rooted and Sunday School on at the same time with just over 50 children and young people here. A well, great blessing. They've been hearing from the Bible this morning and being taught um, so we've we've really enjoyed that, and now we're looking forward to Thursday, uh, when the first steps group hope to start back down here for the first time, and um, they would really value your prayers. It's going to be an outdoor activity, so if it's like today, it will be cancelled. Um, so uh, the weather's looking patchy this week, isn't it? Forecast, but um, pray for good weather for Thursday, and that all the contacts from the past will be regained, and that people will come back, and. Uh, and for the team as well, and the leaders, um, it's quite a daunting task to start something up again after a long period of, uh, of not being committed to doing it, and a regular week by week ministry, so pray for the team, that they will uh, be encouraged, and will be given energy and strength, and make the most of these good opportunities that we have uh, for this age group within the church, or well, hopefully within the church one day, good. Well, the rich young ruler who we're thinking about this morning um, just could not let go of his riches to follow Jesus. And uh, Paul had a lot not to let go of, Uh, especially with his reputation and his religious standing. um, He had a lot to cling on to. Uh, But this is what he said when he became a Christian Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that I might know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead well our first song is, uh, is really Paul's words fitted in so we can sing them and uh, this is our first song All I Once Held Dear let's, let's stand and think about these words together <laughs> Great it is to know Jesus Christ and to know his power changing our lives in the first place and day by day. Okay, well, let's have our Bible reading now. We are back in Luke and we're in chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 18 to 34. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 34. (coughs) And a ruler asked to Jesus, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother." And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise but they understood none of these things this saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. Well, we'll look at those verses a bit later on where John preaches from that passage. Uh, But Luke's now going to come for the children's talk. Thank you, Luke.
1: Well, good morning, kids. It's great to see so many of you inside the church. Give me a hand up if you were in Sunday school this morning. Yeah, loads of you. Fantastic. Well, while you were in Sunday school, I was out in the pouring rain and I was walking my dog. Teddy. Teddy. So, me and Teddy went out for a walk, and we went out uh, through the woods and run the football pitches by Jarvis Brook. Now, to get there, we have to walk along a few streets to get to the woods. So, what do you reckon I do to Teddy when we're walking along before we get to the woods? Jess. Sorry, can you speak up? Put his lead on. Yeah, absolutely right. Put a lead on. Why do you think that's a good idea? Go on, Katie. He might run away. Yeah, exactly. And I don't really want him to run away, if I'm honest. Um, And he could run into the road and get hurt or probably killed. Um, And and there's another reason as well. Any ideas? Go on, Katie, again. You what, sorry? A wild animal could kill him. Yeah, so I've got to keep him safe, haven't I? So I try and keep, keep him on the lead. And also... I know where we're going. Now, I did tell him where we're going, but I don't know if you have dogs and how sociable they are. Our conversations are pretty one-way, and I told him where we were going, but he still. But I still put him on the lead so that I could tell him where we're going and make sure we got there and back and safely as well. And what, also, while we, the other thing with dogs is while we're sometimes eating dinner, he comes in and tries to get involved, has a sniff round, sees what he can try and get, and of course we say no, Teddy, you can't have that. It's not good for you. And sometimes in the evening. Leah and I have a sneaky chocolate bar and he jumps up on the sofa and he wants to have a nibble as well. Do you reckon I let him have some chocolate? No, definitely not. Why not? Go on Jess. It's really bad for me. It's actually poisonous for a dog, isn't it? So it's not good for him. So if I'm going to be a good owner, I have to make sure that we give him just the things that are good for him, which unfortunately for him is the same old dog food day in and day out. Now I don't know how he feels about that. I imagine he's not that impressed. But we know what's best for him. And while I was out for a walk yesterday with Teddy, I was thinking that actually this is a little bit like how God deals with us. Now, thankfully, we're not all on leads. But we have um, God's word to, uh, to teach us and to tell us the things that we, that we should and shouldn't be doing. And sometimes... Well, like Teddy doesn't always like having his lead on. In fact, actually, this morning, me and Molly were trying hard to put his lead, and We kept running around the house. He didn't want his lead on. And sometimes we can be a bit like that with God's Word and the Bible. And we say, "I don't. It'd be easier if I didn't have it, because then I could have the things that I want." But of course, the things that we want aren't always the things that are good for us. And like I keep Teddy on a lead, and like I give him the food that he that he uh, that is good for him. So God as well looks after us. And sometimes we can't always have the things that we want because they're not good for us. Or perhaps we can't go places that our friends go. Or we, we can't behave in a certain way because the Bible tells us that that's not what we should be doing. And there's a great verse though that can encourage us. So it's not all rules and and um, and things we can and can't do. But the Lord says, I have good plans for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you a hope and a good future. So God doesn't just do this because he wants us to have a boring life, but God does it because he knows he can keep us safe. And better than that, he plans to give us a hope and a good future. So if we do the things that God says in his word, if we live by God's word, he, gives us a, he says that we can look forward to a good future, which of course means heaven, being with him. And as I can't imagine anything better than being with God forever. So next time... If your parents are trying to teach you by the Bible and they say, no, that's not good for you, you can't have that, or you shouldn't be doing that, don't think that they're spoiling your fun. But thank God that He is looking after us, He's taking care of us, and He's making us ready for an eternal future and hope. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you, Luke. Let's pray together. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together here this morning. Thank you for the privilege it is to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Not just to know of his greatness and his power, his authority over all creation, uh, but to know him as our Lord and our Saviour. Lord, we are, apart from him, we are so distant from you we are uh, such enemies of you we are in such rebellion against you and yet through christ we are forgiven we are made children of god we are reconciled to god there is now peace between us and him so lord we pray this morning as we as we come together to worship you the living god that our hearts will be in a good place That our trust for salvation, our hope for the future and eternal life will be solely in Jesus Christ. And help us to remember that not one of our good works have anything to do with that hope. We do not trust on anything that we have done or anything that we feel that we might be able to attain to. But like Paul, we cast that all off to one side and even our best attempts are unmentionable. As we simply cling to the cross of Jesus, where our hope is, where our safety is, where our acceptance and our forgiveness is, Lord, we praise you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, with the angels of heaven and with all of creation, we want to lift up the name of Jesus. The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. We want to join in with that celebration of praise, that Jesus rightfully takes the highest place, the highest honour, and we ascribe to him, best we can, all majesty and power. And Lord, the greatest way we can show our appreciation and love and devotion is to offer our lives daily as a sacrifice, as an offering of worship to him. Lord, help us to do that. As we have come through another week, we're aware that we have, have not lived how we should have done. We're aware of our many failings. We're aware that we have not prayed and read your word as we should have done this week. We're aware that we've not been patient with the people in our house. We haven't worked as hard as we should have done. Perhaps we haven't rested when we should have done. Our emotions have taken us astray in reacting to different situations. So, Lord, we come as broken people. Every week we need, every day we need your forgiveness for present sins. And we confess them to you this morning. And, Lord, we thank you that there's forgiveness for every one of them. And uh, though we might be accused of sins in the past, if they are forgiven by Christ, nobody can accuse us because we wear the righteousness of Jesus and Lord we dare not uh, say such amazing things if they were not in your word but Lord we thank you that they are and we thank you that they are true that every one of your words is trustworthy and true Lord we thank you for your care over us as we've just been thinking thank you for your leading in our lives lead me Lord lead me in your righteousness make your way plain before my face. Lord, we we need that encompassing love of God to keep us as children, as young people, as adults, to hedge us in from ourselves and from the world around us to keep us near to you. Lord, if we were in Sunday school, we were thinking of Jesus being the door, the only way into the kingdom of God, the one who keeps us safe, the one who lets us in. Lord, we pray that we will enter through that door and we'll be welcomed into your kingdom. Lord, if we've been enrooted, we've been thinking about friendships and how we choose our friends. Lord, we, we ask that you'll bless our friendships, especially when we become teenagers and, uh, and that part of our life as we begin to become more independent in our lives, help us to make good and wise choices with those who we spend time with. That they will be a good influence on us, but more than that, that we too, what we have to offer, that we will be a good friend to others. That will be a good influence on our friendship groups. That will promote good things. That will promote your word when we're together as Christians. Lord, help all of us to make good alliances in this world with people who will build up our faith and with whom we can encourage. And then, Lord, equip us as Christians to share the good news with others. Lord, help us to love those around us. Help us to remember that the only difference between us as Christians and those without Christ is all of you and nothing of us. It is all of your wonderful grace and when we have experienced that in our lives, our joy and our enthusiasm should be to share that with others. Lord, forgive us that so often that's not the case. But we hide away like the disciples did. Help us as they did. Pray for boldness that will be good examples and witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us a faith and a trust that you are able to save everyone who comes to you. However far, away they might be from you at the moment, and however impossible their salvation might seem to us. Help us to be persistent in prayer for them. Lord God, we thank you for each other. Thank you for the different um, walks of life that we have. Lord, we pray for those who are retired and elderly. Lord, we ask that you'll be with those who have especially found this last year very lonely and difficult, we pray for those who've not been able to see their families. We thank you that things are changing soon and have done to make that more possible. We pray for our elderly folk who are following you. Help them to endure to the end, to cling onto you in faith. Lord, we pray for those who are uh, working, in a working life, uh, mums and dads and um, others who are busy at work every, every day of the week or whenever, um, a part-time, Lord, whatever, Our work situation is help us to be uh, good examples as we work to your glory. Help us to be a good witness to others where we can. Thank you for the health and strength that you give us so often. Thank you for times of rest and refreshment. Lord, be with our parents. Help them as they are constantly role models for their children, for good or for bad. Lord, help us to Have the energy and strength and the patience and the love to train our children in the ways of the Lord that will set them free forever. Lord, help us to love like Jesus loves in all of our relationships, in all of our contacts, in all of our uh, communications with people day by day. Help us to be a breath of fresh air to pass on the love of Jesus through our attitude, through our thankfulness, through our willingness, through our words and our actions. Lord, help us in that. Guide us and help us, we pray. Lord, we do commit to you first steps as they plan to start back on Thursday. We really pray you'd help the team to come together on that and to to lead that work. We pray you'll give them many good opportunities once again. We thank you for the past and for that group. For the many children and uh, kiddies who've come up through and started Sunday school and Lord, we thank you for that ministry and we pray that you'd help them this Thursday to settle back into that. We pray that the first time will be a real encouragement to them and uh, that many of the parents will come back. We ask that it will be a clear, fine day for that to happen. We thank you for the camp meeting yesterday and for the prospect of being able to have that back down here again this year. We commit all the planning to you for that and for all the arrangements for that. and we, We ask for your blessing on that the leaders, the, the ones who've done it before and those who for whom it's the first time, we ask that you'd help them integrate into that team and make them really useful and we pray that it will be a blessing to all of them. Thank you for the way that you have wonderfully used camp in the past and we, Lord, ask that you will again bless that endeavour this year. And Lord, finally, we just pray for our troubled world and we could pray for ours, but I won't. But Lord, we pray for Israel and the... Um, enmity and the war that seems to be looming there. We ask for peace in that troubled part of the world. We pray for those in India, and we don't forget uh, Nepal as well, which perhaps doesn't get mentioned, but immense suffering there. And Lord, we just hear so little of the suffering that goes on around the world, meets the headlines, so little of it does. There is so much suffering, and we pray, Lord God, that you would You would come and relieve that, that you would bring peace where there's war, that you'll bring love where there is greed and hatred, that countries and leaders will support their own people. We pray especially again for Christians, that you will strengthen them, that you'll provide for them where where they are unprovided and neglected. And Lord, wherever there is an attempt to spread the gospel, may your light shine brightly in the darkness, we pray. Lord, be with John as he preaches to us this morning from this passage. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive your truth. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, at the end of our reading, we were reading how that Jesus said that what the prophet said about his suffering that was coming would actually come true. He would experience all of that. And our next song tells the story of what actually happened. Oh, to see the dawn... Of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten, then nailed to a cross of wood.
2: at school we had some uh, strange handwriting uh, lessons. I was uh, in Crowborough, I was at Hearn, Ashdown as it's called now and uh, our head teacher, Mr. Cole um, insisted on uh, teaching uh, the uh, pupils uh, to write in italics. So we'd have these italic lessons. I don't think the teachers or the parents were particularly impressed with the use of time in getting us to learn how to write in italics. Um, but one thing I do remember, it hasn't, it hasn't affected my handwriting which is, isn't particularly good and it certainly isn't italics but uh, one of the things I do remember is that he would go round the, uh, the room and uh, he would try and take pens out of people's hands uh, saying that uh, write properly you ought to hold the pen lightly and not grip it too tightly. Well we can sometimes hold things tighter than we should we're sometimes in a position where we don't let things go which we ought to let be taken from us Uh, you think of the toddler holding the toy so tight and not willing to let it go even when the parent wants it or I think of our dog when she has some toys, some of these sort of rope toys and she grabs it so tightly so that and she won't give it up even. So you might even pick up the, the rope and you'll pick her up as well. She, she just won't let it go. Holding on too tightly and not giving up to things that we ought to give up. Well, as we move on further in Luke 18 this morning, Um, We're going to uh, cover some verses which have got lots of teaching in, and um, there is one thing that uh, connects them, particularly through uh, the verses that we're going to look at, and that is the theme of holding on to things, or giving them up. Holding on to things, or Giving them up is one way we can see the three events that we 're going to be looking at this morning we 're going to look at three parts Luke eighteen verses eighteen to thirty four I think it will challenge us I hope you 'll find some challenge this morning, and I hope it will point you to jesus we 're going to spend most of the time on the first one, but there are three all together and the first in this passage we see the ruler who wouldn't give up his riches. The ruler who wouldn't give up his riches, hence the picture. And this encounter is about future security. It's about heaven. You can see that by his question in verse 18 when he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can see it from what Jesus says to him in verses 24 and 25 when he's talking about entering the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God. And you can see it in the the rather gasped question uh, that there is in the reaction of verse 26 when they say that who then can be saved? So eternal life, entering the kingdom of God, Being saved is a theme in this first encounter and it is of course a great concern and I I wish more people were concerned about it. It is so sad that we uh, humans are often so blasé about eternal life, about entering the kingdom of God, about being saved. Sometimes it comes more to the fore when we when we're confronted with the fact that life is fragile and passing, when there are unexpected uh, uh, deaths that we have seen in the last year or so and perhaps for some very sadly uh, locally they, they've they seen those in the prime of life taken and it, it makes us all think well what, what what's life about and where's it going and where am I going and, and it, it does bring sometimes this question more to the fore that was on the mind of this person coming to Jesus. I hope it's a question buzzing around your mind being saved, everlasting life, entering the kingdom of God. Is it buzzing around your mind? It's a good question. Well, in many ways, you might expect the person who asked this to be as likely as any to be heading for eternal life, to be saved, to be entering the kingdom of God. He had a lot going for him. He was a ruler. Verse 18, he was a leader. Despite being young, He's a person of influence and respect and position, potential. He was upwardly mobile, he had life ahead of him. He was possibly a religious ruler, ruler of the synagogue. So he was a religious leader, a figure in the community. So he had a lot going for him and he was rich. Verse 23 says he was extremely rich well, you may feel that's nice in itself, we'd all like to be rich and well-off. Uh, well, in those days, wealth was often uh, associated with God's blessing, overly so. So if somebody was blessed with riches, well, they, they must be in, uh, approved by God. And if they were extremely rich, then they're extremely approved by God, would have been the thinking of many at that time. Well, this young man comes in with this question about eternal life, and I suspect that he, he thinks of himself as okay. That's probably what he's expecting to hear. He's he's eager, Mark says he ran with the question. He's respectful. He he kneels before Jesus according to one gospel. And he calls Jesus good teacher. Good teacher. Well, we might think it's a bit strange for Jesus to pick up on that, after all, if somebody says, well, that's a good talk, or they're a good communicator, we don't make a, a big deal of that. But uh, rabbis in those days weren't called good. It wasn't the right word to put alongside a rabbi, good teacher. It was a word more reserved for, for God, or for God's word, the, the, the law. And so when this man says, good teacher, Jesus picks up on this, maybe, maybe this young man is um, starting to recognise something of the, the godness of Jesus and that's why he puts it that way and so Jesus picks up on that and gets him to reflect on that verse 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, are you suggesting that? Well, the, the commandments were certainly good. And Jesus gets this man, with his question and thoughts and concerns, to think about the, the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you ever think about the, the Ten Commandments. Perhaps you, you don't know what they all are. They're in Exodus 20, you can look them up. Important part of God's Word uh, do you ever think about how you measure up to them? Sometimes uh, children, maybe in their classroom, they've got a, uh, um, a sort of a big uh, poster of of uh, heights, and maybe they go up and measure, see how they compare with the the, the poster. How high are they? How do they measure up? Well, what what, what about that for you and the Ten Commandments? How do you feel when you stand next to the Ten Commandments? How do you rate up? Jesus lists some of them in his response to this man in verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother. He gives five of them to this fellow. If somebody keeps the commandments totally, perfectly, then they will have life, the Old Testament says. And he seems to think he's done rather well because he responds in verse 21. This is his view of how he measures up against the poster of the Ten Commandments. And he he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Well, if we think that we measure up rather well against the Ten Commandments, then it probably means one of two things. It probably means we've no idea of what they're really about. We've no idea of the heart attitude they reflect. Jesus said if you you hate in your heart... If you're angry with a person in your heart unjustly, you are you are breaking the commandment to murder. He says that if you look lustfully at a woman, you are breaking in your heart the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So if we think we measure up well, we've probably got no idea of what the commandments are really about. I think this man had that problem. Um, the other is that maybe we are being a bit selective which ones we're looking at being a bit picky and choosy and I think this man was also doing that and Jesus is going to show him this by homing in on things which really look at the first and the last of the commandments the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me the last commandment you shall not Covet, shall not be jealously greedy, wanting what others have. This is what he says to this rising star in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So Jesus has authority to tell us to do things, and to leave things, to let go of things, to loosen our grasp on things. And that's what he tells this man to do, to, to give up his riches, to sell and to pass it on to the poor. Now, it doesn't tell every one of us to do that. Not in that full sense. Not in the New Testament. There were people who kept their houses in the New Testament. Now, by telling the young man to do this, he's putting his finger on something. He's he's putting his finger on the place of money and possessions and riches in this young man's heart and life. And if he's a good teacher, and if he's a divine teacher, he's the teacher from God, he is God on earth, then surely you do what God wants and what God asks, and if that's what this man needs to do, then you delight in the way of the commandments of Jesus but he doesn't want to. Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He'd grabbed his riches very tightly, too tightly, and he wouldn't let them go. It was more important to him than God and God's call on his life. He couldn't follow Jesus because the pound signs were too big in his heart. He hadn't realised how much he fell short of the Ten Commandments. He had another God before God and the God was the things he owned. Well, perhaps you thought you measured up well to the Ten Commandments. Is God first in your life? Or have you got your hand, if you like, round something, grabbing something, uh, so tight that you won't let it go if it competes with Jesus and with his call on your life? This man was sad. I think he's wrestling a bit. But he, he doesn't do, we've got no evidence he does what Jesus says. He, he wanted eternal life. I, I think that's genuine. He wants to be saved, enter the kingdom of God, have eternal life. But he loved his God too much. Um, monkeys are difficult to, to catch. But according to the legend, a lot of his legends, there might not be any substance to it, but it's a good illustration. There is an easy way to catch a, a monkey. If you put a banana in a jar with an opening that's just wide enough for the monkey to get his hand in the jar, then the monkey will come wanting the banana. He put his hand in to grab the banana, grab the banana, he won't be able to get his hand out. And if your jar is heavy enough so that he can't run off with the jar as well, he holds on to the banana and you have your monkey. The thing he needs to do to be free is to let go of the banana and run off. But but, But the daft monkey won't do that. He holds tight, clings on. So loses his life and loses his freedom well that's a bit like this ruler he he needs to put God first he needs to relinquish his hold on money and possessions he needs to to follow Jesus and do what he says he needs to put his trust in the Saviour but he holds on too tight and won't let his possessions go. Well, are we like this ruler, if I can put it like this, are we like the monkey? You're interested in eternal life. You're desperate, maybe, for eternal life. But there's something more important to you than God. God. And you you won't let it go. It dominates your life. It's first in your life. It's replacing God. Maybe it is possessions, what you own. They're far too important in your life. You're following your income. You're following your standard of living. That is coming first. God is pushed to the margins. Maybe it's a wrong relationship. You're very clear that it's wrong. It, the, the, the Lord is not pleased with you pursuing it but you won't let it go, you're holding on to the wrong relationship. Maybe it's it's the pride uh, of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and you just have to sort of be shielded by your own worthiness and you won't let that go. Maybe it's the popularity you have with your friends that that's just far too important to you and you won't follow the teachings of Christ because you know that will have to go. Perhaps it's family approval. And these things are trumping God's claim on your life. They're trumping the call of Christ. Well, when Jesus sees the man's sadness and his, his lack of willingness to, to give up uh, what Jesus is, uh, says he needs to give up, Then he says something that startles the crowd. In verses 24 and 25, he says this Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter. The kingdom of God. Sometimes we try and squeeze uh, things into tight spaces. You've got to get your sleeping bag back in its uh, little bag that comes with you. I wonder how you're going to get it in there. But you squeeze and you roll it up and it gets in there. Or you have to load all the luggage for the holiday in the boot and it's out on the tarmac. And you think, well, never get that all in that boot. But uh, somehow it all goes in in the end. But that's not the case with this. With Jesus' illustration, there's no way it's going to fit. A camel? A camel's not a small animal. It's not a, a mouse. It's not a fox. You've been to the zoo, you've seen a camel. How big is a camel? You don't get one of its humps through the eye of a needle. The, the, a needle's small enough. The eye is just the very little hole at the end that the thread goes through. A camel through the eye of the needle? That's what Jesus says. How difficult it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, they're taken aback and they ask a question in verse 26. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? If rich people who we think are blessed by God are not heading for heaven, then who is and Jesus is saying, yeah, yes, it, it, is Im- it is impossible for us to save ourselves. You could almost say, yes, it's especially impossible for wealthy people to save themselves. Uh, this ought to startle us and, and humble us, especially when we're, we're well off as we are in this part of the globe. We're unable to save ourselves Especially clear in people with with wealth and what that does to their hearts. It's impossible. Why is it it's impossible because we've we've all done wrong and we don't measure up to God's commandments. We can't claim our way to eternal life by keeping all his commandments perfectly. It's impossible because in our own hearts, naturally, we won't put Jesus first and we won't follow him and leave our other gods to one side. How is it then? Is it possible that people who've broken God's commandments can have eternal life, enter the kingdom of God, be saved? Is it possible for them to start living for Jesus Well, our hope is not in ourselves. We can't get there ourselves. But verse 27, we find some hope because Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is of the Lord, it says elsewhere in the Bible. It is possible for people to enter heaven, to be saved, to have eternal life. It's something that God must do and has done. We'll find out about part of it as we progress in a couple of minutes. But there is a challenge in this first story, isn't there? The ruler who wouldn't give up his riches, well it may not be riches perhaps you need to sort of delete just sort of highlight that word riches you know we we'll click on it once get the word highlighted, we we'll delete it and we've got a gap there, there now maybe something else which is first before God in your life stopping you from following Christ well the story speaks into that and challenges that well the crowd are listening The disciples are listening. Uh, The the crowd are are startled. Uh, We're startled a bit by what we've heard. And the disciples are also startled. And we move on secondly. To the disciples who had given up their homes. The disciples who had given up their homes. Well, if the disciples are going to say something, there's usually a spokesman who's out there first. You know who that is? It's usually Peter who speaks ahead of the others and he's speaking on their behalf, but he pipes up. He can honestly say that he's been different from the, the rich ruler that we've just been looking at. And he says in verse 28, Peter said, "'See, we have left our homes.'" And followed you. He left his house. He was away from his home. He was away from his fishing business. He, he'd left that behind at the call of Jesus, who told him to follow him very literally and to fake forsake those things. Elsewhere, in another gospel, it puts it more broadly, we've left everything and followed you. The disciples are of a different mould to this rich, uh, young ruler. Other disciples weren't perfect. We see lots of faults in them, but God had worked in their hearts. They had been obedient to the call of Jesus. They had left things behind. They had put Jesus first. They were following Jesus. And it's as if Peter needs some reassurance, some encouragement after the shocking um, response that he's heard to this rich ruler who's come to Jesus. Uh, And and maybe um, you or some, some of you here, or some of you watching, maybe you're thinking, well, if I put Jesus first... if I see him as in charge um, it's going to involve giving up some things which I'm reluctant to give up or it's going to at least um, require some downsizing of things which are too important in my life. Um, What what will happen? That that feels scary. I don't know where that's going to lead. I think I might lose out. I'm not sure I want to go that route perhaps um, you're thinking like that or, or maybe other ones of you uh, are in a, a different position but you're feeling the pain of having put God first you've you put God first, you're following Jesus and it, it wasn't easy and it isn't easy uh, things have had to go maybe you're missing what you were addicted to or uh, or maybe you're feeling the pain of of your friends laughing at you, or, or maybe um, your family have distanced you. you know, there would be people, lots of people in the in the Middle East who who following Christ, and and the family just severed connections. They perhaps never see them again in their lives. Or maybe there was a, uh, you've given up that wrong relationship, put Christ first, but, you know, it leaves a gap and there's still a, a sadness and emptiness. And the words that Jesus gives to Peter may encourage you either to start following or, or to keep on following because Jesus says this to encourage the disciples. Where am I? I'm in verse 29. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. There is a giving, there's a cost to following Jesus. But God can be trusted. Jesus here talks really of, in a way, compensation. There's a cost, we give up, but there is a, a compensation. In this life, I, I think particularly that's referring to spiritual compensation in, in in this life. So maybe somebody does lose their their home or give up their home for Christ. Well, they will have a, a home in being received by the Lord, which will more than compensate, even now, that sense of welcome and acceptance. Or maybe there are people who, who do get distanced, uh, chucked out of their family, but they're more than made up for because now they have the family of God as a family in this life. Or maybe they, they, they're they converted and they grow much more generous with their their money and, and they give it away and they lower their standard of living. They want to live more simply and so they do lose out but they know the unsearchable riches of Christ as the Bible puts it so they're more than compensated now. But even more so, Jesus says, in the age to come they receive eternal life that the balances in the scales are just totally weighed down with what God gives in return to those who put him first. I remember when I was um, a student and we went on an away day, sort of trip trip, uh, to, to sort of enjoy ourselves as a Christian union and uh, uh, there, it went, went to one of the local parks and we had games and so forth and then there was a, a talk nearer the end which somebody gave and it was on these sorts of verses, probably these verses from Luke or Mark and uh, the person talked about 10 peas, 10 and 10 grands and they gave the illustration of of if you give up a ten p to, if somebody says to you, if you pass me a ten p, okay, then, then in later today, I'll, I will I will give you, I will give you a tenner. Do that. And if they say, not only would I give you a tenner then, but in, in a few uh, weeks' time, I will give you ten grand, ten thousand pounds. You have to give up the ten p now, but you get. the the tenor later and you get the ten grand ahead of you. was a picture really of what Jesus is saying here. There is a cost. You have to give up the things which are competing with God. You have to hand over your 10p. But he will more than compensate now, in this life, with spiritual blessings and then the, the, the ten grand is yet to come. So if I can say this to you, if you're if you're, if you're like the toddler with the tempy, or you're the dog grabbing hold of the... Let it go. Yield. Follow Christ. Trust in him. Put him first. Blessings follow according to the promise of Jesus. Perhaps that encourages you to put Christ first. Well, we have one more thing to finish in these verses. So briefly, at the end, the final verses we look on. And I think we can... Uh, make a connection here. Uh, So this is our third heading. The Saviour who was giving up his life. So the ruler who wouldn't give up his riches, the disciples who had given up their homes, the Saviour who was giving up his life. What the disciples were doing and had done was really just a sort of shadow, a small shadow of what Jesus himself was doing. That's what the last verses remind us about. Jesus points to what's ahead of him. It says in um, this translation that the, the headings are not inspired. They're added in to help us break it up. And uh, it says here, the, Jesus foretells his death a third time. Well, perhaps in a certain style of prediction, it, it may be the third time. But actually in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has many more times than three pointed towards his death. And Jesus does so again here, and we can become too familiar with these words. We, we've heard of words like this. <coughs> Imagine somebody was describing to you that this is somebody you knew, and they're describing to you, this is what's ahead of me. This is what Jesus says to them. Let's read 31 to 34. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he had said. Jesus too was involved with giving up. It was was part of the plan. He was heading to Jerusalem, has been since halfway through the gospel. To make clear why he's heading to Jerusalem, he knows what, what he faces It was part of a plan before then. All all the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms were pointing forward to this. This had to happen. He would be delivered up by Judas, um, by the religious authorities, but in a way it's part of a bigger plan from his father. He was being given up, handed over. And as he goes ahead, and as he experiences these things, He would be giving up things that he could have held on to but does not grasp too tightly. What will he be giving up? He'd be giving up honour and replacing it with, with shame. He'd be giving up respect and replacing it with mockery. He'd be giving up comfort and replacing it with pain, he'd be giving up life and replacing it, at least temporarily, with death. A saviour who was giving up his life. One of the things we've been wondering about is the impossibility of us saving ourselves, whether we're rich or whether we're poor. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God and what Jesus is doing and describing here fits in with that we reflected in our second song let me read the verses and chorus again oh to see the dawn of the darkest day Christ on the road to Calvary tried by sinful men torn and beaten then nailed to a cross of wood that's what Jesus is pointing to This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written in his face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, the breach of the Ten Commandments, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow, this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. That is where you can find forgiveness, eternal life and be saved by placing your trust in Jesus, by going to him for forgiveness by turning and starting to follow him the saviour who is giving up his life the breaches and the breaks of the ten commandments which are ours are taken by him on the cross and we're safe if we trust in him our unrighteous life is covered by his perfect life And isn't this also where we get some of the motivation for putting God first? Let me finish by two more verses of another song. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me with his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who reigns above, whose wisdom is my perfect peace whose every thought is love, for every day I have on earth is given by the King. So I will give my life, my all, to love and follow him. Have some time thinking, praying through one or two or three of these lessons before I close in prayer. Oh Lord, we confess and are sorry that we have not kept your commandments. We do not measure up well to your commandments and especially we think of the heart of those commandments and uh, they shrink us down to size. We need forgiveness and we need righteousness and we cannot produce it ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the example of the disciples and the way in which they, they gave up what you asked them to give up. And that is a, a constant challenge for us in our lives. But for some of us, it may be a very fundamental challenge that Jesus is not being followed because a certain aspect of our life is too big and too important and won't be left behind and so we are not following we are like this rich young ruler with a tight grasp of his money which he wouldn't yield may this morning help us to come to our senses to not be like the monkey in the illustration to not be like the ruler but instead like the disciples to yield trustingly and to follow the saviour and to receive eternal life We thank you for what Jesus went through. He stooped so low. He gave up so much. We love him as a saviour. We trust in what he did on the cross. We pray we'll be stirred to continue to follow him, even though it may cost in the meantime. Give us courage to do so, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.